0: Smith, and you're listening to Slee Ricketts. If this is your first time listening, then welcome. Slee Ricketts is the most popular poetry podcast in America. Subscribe now. If you are an old listener, then hi. I have recorded this intro about seven times. This week's guest is Skyzu. Skyzu is a rapper born in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. He has put out innumerable, truly too many records to count. He has traveled around the world performing his music, he's worked with Jill Scott, Wale, Lloyd Banks, Tyrese, Dr. Dre, Raheem Devon, Black Thought, Jadakiss, Talib Kwali, Spike Lee, John Legend, and a number of other people whose names did not fit on the Wikipedia page. His most recent record is called All the Brilliant Things. Please enjoy this conversation with Sky Zoo in which he explains rap prosody, Uh, tells the story of how he met Brian Platzer and vindicates my dad and uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda in the bargain.
1: You know, the structure of it is usually 16 lines, right? Which we call bars. So 16 bars. So everything with a bar is counted in a four-count beat. So if I say... To whom we may concern, don't let this happen to you. That's one bar, you know? As true as what you heard, they want this back like a loop. That's two bars, you know? So it it goes like that. But it's poetry, you know? To, to get right back to where we started, what you asked, it's poetry, 100%, you know? And that's where the, the thread comes from, where there's a mutual respect with poets and MCs. There's never been a clashing between us. You know, back when hip-hop was looked at as... Something that would die in five years. All this is junk music. It's going to be dead in five years. This is what was said about us back in the early 80s. Yeah. Um, the one group that always respected us was the poets. Because they were us. They just We just had a beat behind us. We had a DJ with two turntables and two exact copies of the same record. Scratching and cutting and bringing the loop back over and over. So instead of it being a four-bar loop at the intro of, chic good times or something like that uh you could turn that football loop which is maybe about eight to 12 seconds you could turn that into a four minute piece by just cutting back and forth back and forth and that's where it all came from so the poets always respected us and saluted us and same obviously because we just came from them
0: yeah i mean what you're describing with the f- uh four 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 beat lines which is in it you said 16 bars is a typical verse i know there's some variation verse, yeah. yeah which is sort of, of maybe which i mean to me yep. i hear that as tetrameter quatrain tetrameter being four beats and then quatrains being four lines and that's right. that's like a very conventional poetic structure but it's just like it's slightly different vocabulary for it um part of what you know i was talking to Brian some about this and i wonder you know with with that as the kind of the baseline i think in in like it, older traditional English poetry, that would be like the pentameter line would be kind of that that very standard measure that, that everybody recognizes and everybody builds from. When you compose, do you, outside of that, you know, those, four, uh, you know, those sort of four, four line sections, you know, four, four bar sections per verse, are you thinking... Do you have designs when it comes to, uh, you know, a specific rhyme scheme, specific internal rhyme or assonance outside of those end rhymes? Or is that is that improvisation within that kind of set of conventions?
1: It depends on the moment. You know, a lot of times I'm writing and the flow, what we call the flow, has nothing to do with the actual lyricism. It has nothing to do with the writing. It's all about okay. the sound and how you say whatever it is that you're saying. So that's the part where... Your words become the music, right? Because your voice almost becomes an instrument. So I could say, um, I could say, I'm I'm doing this interview right now on lyricism. Yeah, I could say, I'm doing this interview right now on lyricism. Sure, that's the flow. That's yeah, how it yeah, changes. Yeah. And I could say the same line a thousand different ways based on the flow. I could have a thousand different flows. I could say, I'm doing this right now on lyricism. You know, like there's so many different ways that I can create the flow. So a lot of times when you hear the beat as a writer, the beat will predict the flow for you. Like you'll hear the beat and you'll say, okay, when you're writing, you'll come with a certain pocket. That's the flow or the cadence. Some people like to call it a cadence. Same difference. You don't really do the same flow for the entire verse. I mean, you can, but it could become a little stagnant. So um, you, you usually switch it up and it's very organic. It's very in the moment. For me, the beat tells me how to approach it. You know, when I hear a beat, that tells me how to write to it, what to write about and where I should fit in certain pockets. And in a the pocket is where there's certain moments of time within the drums. So if the drum... Ba-dum, 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 ba, ba-dum, ba, find the pocket within, that. I mean, I could find little holes and yeah. little pockets of where there is no kick or where there is no snare, or the moment between the kick and the snare and how much time that is that I have to play with, that's called the pocket. Okay. So I can jump right in. And there is no right or wrong method to that it's all what's enjoyable to the listener it's all knowing man he got a crazy pocket on that record he got a crazy flow a lot of it is stuff that the casual fan may not even notice but it's the difference between rapper a and rapper b you know and how that person is perceived by the public or how revered they are or how successful they are or how they're thought of to be as far as being really good or not a lot of it is just ear candy you know, yeah, it, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the spices that you use in your food. We could both make chicken, but if you use a certain spice that I don't, people would be like, Man, his chicken was really crazy. You know, like yeah, it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's and the people won't even know what it is. It's just something. So it's an ear candy. So there's that element. When you're writing a sixteen, I'm I'm of the ilk of there's always a story no matter what. Even if okay. I'm talking about how good I am of a rapper, because right. a lot of hip hop began with that. And that is a big part of hip-hop which is more of a battle aspect or you know just kind of we call it getting your thing off right like the braggadocious yeah. side of like y'all i'm really great like that's yeah. the one thing hip-hop has that other genres of music don't really have you don't have rock and roll artists where they have the moment to just make a song about how talented they are you don't have yeah. r&b artists and blues artists making a song just about how talented they are. It's always a love song or whatever they're going through. Hip hop is the one genre where we do all of those things. And we can take a moment to make a song solely about how talented we are, solely about how great we are or how good we are on the mic and how superior we are over everyone else around us. That becomes a theme in itself. But even when you're doing that, I'm still of the mind frame of when you do that, it's still a story. You know whether it looks like a story on the surface or not. So when you're creating that story, there's a beginning, middle, and end. So every verse has to have a beginning, middle, and end, and every verse, uh, every song has to have a beginning, middle, and end. And sometimes the first verse acts as the beginning, and then the second or third acts as the middle and the end. And there you go. Or maybe you'll get the whole point out in verse, but there's still this. Okay, I'm going to start here, and by the end, of it, I'm going to end here.
0: Now, and and you're you you know you're locating this tradition of bragging I was thinking even just a minute ago I was listening to you have a uh, song on a recent record called Humble Brag that seems to sort of play with that convention a little bit you know with, with some with some tension and irony but you're locating that in the origin of that tradition in battle rap. would you just for my sort of you know rap ignorant audience would you mm-hmm. provide some context for what like where that how that creates this tradition?
1: yeah battle rap the best way to look at battle rap is to look at it as boxing okay you know it's one-on-one you're trying to kill each other but at the end of it it's okay you may give a hug you may dap each other up you may salute each other and say man you did your thing in the ring tonight now you did your thing in the ring when you hit me in the ribs and you came with that uppercut man that was rough you know like but in the moment you think these guys are trying to literally take each other's heads off you know you they're literally going for blood in a sense that's battle rap. Battle rap is you'll hear some of the most outlandish, some of the most extreme, some of the most vulgar content, because the idea is to literally be a warrior. Yeah, It's combat. It's literally being a warrior of I'm taking your head off. No, I'm taking your head off. And yeah. the point of it is just proving who's superior, who's better, more talented, who has it and it's the same thing as boxing that's why it's the best analogy you could use is well, why do they sound like that and why do why are they so yeah. aggressive and so angry and and it's so vulgar and raw and harsh well, it's boxing yeah it's yeah. the same way you yeah, know yeah. and then at the end of it you're like but they just gave a hug same thing in battle rap some of the biggest battle rappers who go for each other's necks. Are fans of each other and friends, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. A perennial topic on the podcast is chess. We come back to you and and you've just watching like some of the real big chess uh, competitions recently. I'm always surprised by at the end of a game when it's finished, the two the two players will talk in a very casual and friendly way, just going That's over right. the game together because it's mm-hmm. they're they're combatants but they're also technicians. So in battle, is battle rap always improvisational? Is it always freestyling, or is that is that?
1: No, it, it's it's come a long way from that. You know, back in the day, you know, when hip hop first started in the park, it was freestyling, you know, and freestyle in the traditional sense means you're just saying whatever comes to mind. Yeah, the definition of freestyle has changed and kind of adapted and all those types of things dramatically over the course of the past 40 plus years or however long hip hop has been around 45 years, whatever it may be. Uh, now it's just something that you've never heard, something that was just for this moment. So a lot of times when you see the word freestyle, whether it's someone on YouTube or you're watching a battle, URL stuff, which is a battle league, uh, the letters U-R-L. It's a very cool battle league for some of your viewers to watch. It's very raw. It's very vulgar. But it is very, very layered and complex in the thinking and the way – the battle rappers are able to take something from here and make it mean this, but also make it come back to that. If you can if you can get through how raw it is, which it's supposed to be because it's hip hop. Yeah, yeah. If you can get through how raw it is, you will find some of the greatest poets in battle rap. And it's it's an absolute pleasure to watch. It's like watching boxing. Um, you'll think these guys are gonna fight each other afterwards, <laughs> but they're not. So they're, yeah, they're, yeah, you yeah. will. You'll hear them talk about each other's kids, each other's mothers, each other's <laughs> everything, each other's yeah. wives. But at the end of it, they'll give a dap, give a hug, and they know it was just the battle. Uh, but going back to the question, you know, it started as freestyling. The DJ and then the guy on the mic is controlling the crowd, and and I'm here to say that the party's all right, and everybody's here till the break of night. And then somebody else will come on and be like, man, I could say something cooler than that to get the crowd to go, ooh, and ah. Man, he thought he was best on the mic, but I'm the reason. Everybody's here, right? And then, ah, oh, and everybody laughs. and yeah, You yeah. know, this is kind of like early 80s stuff. And then it kind of grew into writing something specifically for that moment. So you right. may go on YouTube and see somebody freestyling on the radio or, you know, a video of somebody freestyling on the radio or something like that or in a battle Nine times out of ten, that's not off the top of the head, and you can uh, tell a lot of times by how you can tell a lot of times by how extreme it is, how advanced it is, and how um, how there's never any real moments of messing up, right? And right, yeah. you're like, oh, that's that's not a freestyle. That that's yeah, that's yeah. not off the head. At that point, we, now we call it off the head yeah, or off yeah. the top. Meaning, it's just off the top of your head. It's the first thing to come to your mind. Nothing's pre-written, yeah. and you can hear someone say, "Yeah, that's not that's not off the top. That's written because right, it's right. too it's too exact. It's too memorized. There's no yeah, stumble. Yeah, yeah. There's no break. There's no pause for a moment to think. And you're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa that that's not a freestyling." There are a few people who who can do that. Um, there are a few battle rappers who can do that, and a few rappers in general who are really, really, really good at freestyling off the top and making it seem like Something that was written because they're just so, so great with it. You know, like Supernatural is probably one of the greatest ever. You know, there's a lot of people out there. You can look him up. He's a, a older guy who's been around forever and he literally is, I mean, can freestyle for 24 hours straight type thing. You know what I mean? And it'd be off the top yeah. and it makes sense. And when you look at poetry, you got a guy who can do that. That's a poet without a doubt. That's a poet. <laughs> yeah. you know, that's somebody yeah, yeah. who is extremely advanced, you know. Um, So I have a rule that I gave myself. If you ever see me or hear me rather on the radio, if you see a video of me on YouTube freestyling on a radio show, I always go off the top always because that's just me being a connoisseur of lyricism and the culture and art of lyricism. I refuse to write something for the radio freestyles. I'd rather just go off the top. So if you YouTube sky zoo, freestyle you'll see me on sway in the morning you'll see me on static selector you'll see me on tony touch all these different things that stuff is off the top and a lot of times i'll close my eyes when i'm going off the top and that's when i feel like i'm kind of entering another space and entering what we call another zone and i close my eyes and i'm just seeing the words come to me in the moment i'm literally seeing them in my head with my eyes closed like i'm seeing them flash in front of me and i'm just throwing them and i'm making it make sense and i'm making a Story of it on the fly you know yeah, yeah, um yeah. but i i personally do that because that's just something i want to do it's not like i get more acclaim for doing that even though one would think so sure, yeah, <laughs> um yeah, yeah. I that's, think that's, that's probably, your
0: constraint that's what you're imposing that's me. on yourself that's
1: yeah th- yep those are those are cuffs that i put on myself that's me continuing to push myself to continue to be great and great and greater yeah. you know so
0: so I, i'm curious actually because this is something we were Talking about incidentally a month or so ago, my co host and I were passing around this well known video from years ago that's Black Thought freestyling on. I think it was Hot 97. And it's, 10, like, a, 10 it's like 10 minutes and it is the 10 minutes freestyle, seemingly, yep. seemingly without pause. You, you would say that in many cases, when people say, Here's a freestyle, it's not truly in the moment,
1: it's, without a doubt yeah was composed ahead of time pre- pre-
0: kind of prepared for this okay all right without that, a mean, doubt absolutely I feel slightly better now because watching that I thought like well fuck, what am, what am I even doing right
1: like, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You, you went 10 minutes that crazy off the top of the head now what <laughs> I will say Black Thought uh Black Thought is one of the greatest MCs yeah. in hip-hop history he, even if he just if wrote, wrote it, it it's, yeah, it's still amazing yeah it's right yeah absolutely without a doubt yeah he's one of the greatest uh MCs in hip-hop history he is revered and and applauded to no end as he should be i would not be surprised if some of that was off the head i would not be surprised if he spliced it what we call like splicing it where some will be written some will be off the head back to the written back to the off the head you know which is a task in itself you know what i mean like that's a task in itself to write to spit some written and then go to some off the head and while you're going off the head Half of your brain is going off the head. The other half of your brain is thinking, what written should I spit after I'm done with this off the head part without stopping? Yeah, and it's yeah. seeming like I took a pause to think about what, that's wild in itself. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I don't know for a fact if he spliced it. I would not be surprised if he did because he's that great where he could go off the head and freestyle for that long and make it make yeah. sense. But I would probably say it was it was all the way written because it was so long and it was so intense. I would say the whole thing was probably written. But if I'm wrong and it was spliced, I would not be surprised because he's that yeah. great.
0: No, that, I mean, And that seems consistent with what I know of like good public speakers tend to have that kind of, even if they have like a, a rich structure, they'll leave some gaps and some loose spots for them to yep. improvise in the moment. And then bounce back more- in. Yeah, and it feels more alive and more connected that way. So I, I'm yeah, no. Brian pointed out, uh, as he said, that like in in movies or TV shows or in any popular depiction, it's pretty unusual to see, I, th- I can think of maybe a couple examples, but it's pretty unusual to see a depiction of like a rapper in a movie sitting down at a desk with a pen and paper. Usually the, the suggestion is that everything is sort of Either made it like stand-up comics will try things out in front of a crowd and then revise them over time, uh, but then they do, will do some, you know, writing writing some by themselves. His question was sort of when you're composing, not like freestyle spots for the radio, but when you're composing something for a song to be recorded. How does that composition process work? Like, how much of that is is playing with things in a moment of recording or testing things out over time in front of an audience or actually sitting down with a pen and paper.
1: A lot of people will write verses, try them out on stage or whatever it is and see yeah. the reaction and then go put it on a record, which is fine. I personally don't do that. Um, when I write, 99% of my stuff is story-driven. Yeah. So I'm here to put together a story and tell a story and I know where I want to go with it. And I'm just going to roll the dice and when I put it on the album and see if the crowd loves it or not because I I know the story that I'm trying to tell for the moment and for my legacy and my catalog so I don't really like write pieces and then use it at the crowd on stage and see if they react right and if they don't react right I won't use it I don't really do that but that's just me and there's nothing wrong with people who do go about it that way excuse me Um, for me I sit down and first of all I write everything on the spot you know I never write uh, just okay. I'm on the plane. Let me do some writing for this album. Okay. So wait, wait, when you say, bus. I'm sorry. When you
0: say, say you write everything writing. on the spot, what does that mean? Like on what spot? What do you
1: at the studio when I'm about to record? Oh, you you write
0: it like right beforehand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So it's not improvised, but it is sort of there is the pressure to to produce it in that moment.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm I'm the reason why I do that, and again, this is just me. Right. There's a lot of people who sit home and write and write and, you know, they'll write their whole album at home, then they'll go to the studio for three days right. and record the whole album, 14 songs, because they were writing it for three months.
0: Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Some
1: people sit at home, they sit in their backyard or they, or they sit in their living room or their bedroom and they write. They say, okay, it's time for me to write some rhymes, it's time for me to write this album and they write and then they go to the studio three days later and record it. I don't do that personally because for me I feel like When you're writing, there's this excitement about what you just wrote, no matter what the concept is. It could be a melancholy record, it could be an exciting, fun record, it could be an aggressive, story-driven record, whatever it is, there's an excitement from you because you're very happy about what you just wrote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, Oh man, this is great. This is coming out. It's like if you're painting and and you're Your painting's coming together, this canvas, and you're half done. And you're like, man, this is coming together exactly the way I saw it. And now you're so inspired to continue to finish. For me, when I write a record, I write a song or a verse, that energy and that excitement, I don't want to have to put it in a bottle and wait three days to open it up. Okay. You know what I mean? Because I have to capture that on the mic. So in the moment when I'm writing and this verse or this song is coming out really crazy, oh man, I'm going to the studio in two days. I can't wait to go lay this down. Right. So now all that excitement that had me so inspired because I'm so happy with what I wrote, yeah. I have to put it in a bottle, close it, put it in a drawer, and then I have to take that bottle with me to the studio, open right. it up, and hope it's preserved and comes out the exact same way. I don't like to do that. Yeah, so yeah, I like yeah. to write on the spot, what I call on the spot, meaning in the studio. Hey, we got a studio session today from 12 to 8. Okay, great. I'm going to get there at 12 o'clock. Turn the beat on. Start writing. Usually takes me about an hour to write a whole song. Takes me about twenty minutes to write sixteen bars. Uh, you know, and that all give or take. But for the most part, I usually average about twenty minutes on a verse, an hour on a song, meaning the verses, the hook, the bridges. I'm usually done in about an hour, hour and change, which is pretty quick. A lot of people are always, yeah, like, man, you're, I can't you're, believe you I mean, so fast.
0: That seems pretty quick. But you're, I mean, that also yeah, like, like you're. The second you're done, you're basically you can step into the next room and, and record.
1: Right, exactly. You know... I'm I'm right in the booth and I'm right in the booth and knocking it down. So for me, I like that because that emotion and that excitement is there and that energy and that flow, all of that is there. I don't have to bottle it and hope it's the same later. But again, that's my method. You know, one of my favorite rappers and one of the greatest rappers ever, Most Def, he said on his first album, he said, I write a rhyme. Sometimes I won't finish for days. That's great. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. Most Dev is one of the greatest ever. So if, it, if sometimes most Def won't finish a rhyme for days, it doesn't matter because when he finished it, to me, it was groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's great. There is no rush to this. I think a lot of times people hear me say how fast I write and think they have to do that or they're not good. No, that doesn't matter. Some people write right. fast and it's junk. Some people do 10 songs in a day and <laughs> <Yeah. junk. That's, laughs> like, it's junk. It's like, man, you, you, yeah, you should have yeah. kept that stuff and just and just did one song today and it would have been a good song. You could have kept that <laughs> stuff, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. you know, um, this is not a, 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 a sprint. It's a marathon, you know. So I'm just blessed that I can write a song quickly, you know, and that's really what it comes down to. But sometimes I will take a while. Sometimes I will spend a whole five-hour session writing one song because I'm yeah going over things thing very, very particularly. And lately, it has been taking me a little longer to write by choice. You know, yeah. when I was younger, I would blow through five, six songs in a day and go get lunch and be done, you know, but now I am writing a little slower. That makes sense. And you're
0: maybe you're more consciously thinking about the technical
1: side of it. Absolutely. For me, it's just constantly living in the gym. For lack of a better term, I always use okay. that analogy of yeah, yeah, yeah. living in the gym, you know, like Michael Jordan would win a championship, go on vacation to the Bahamas for two weeks, come back home and be in the gym for the rest of the summer. And that's yeah, me. Yeah. You know, it's going back to the gym, you know, so you're, no matter how great people may look at me as.
0: But your, your practice then is sort of a constant training, but like for any one song... Outside of that recording session, you don't revise. You're not changing the lyrics after that. But you're just not like always really. maybe in
1: maybe a word or two, but never. I never go and redo a song, rewrite a song, rewrite a verse, rewrite a line. Maybe one word. I'll listen right. back and I'll be like, "Yeah, this is dope." And I'll be like, "Ooh, well, what if I would have said that one word instead of this one word?"
0: Yeah, yeah. And I'll
1: go edit that if I feel like it's worth it. For the tonality of the story, but no, I never go back. And man, I got to rewrite all that. No, I, I don't do that. I don't do that. But, and, Whatever but, the story is that came out, that that's what it is.
0: But it also seems like the that moment in time, because as you said, like you you have to be excited and invested in what you've just written in order to deliver it convincingly. Like it's as much a rec- it's a, it's, a, it's as much a record of that hour as it is of uh, a record of the thought that you put down in words,
1: yep, like absolutely. that moment in time. So
0: you had an odd, like the the collision between your work and this podcast is a sort of an unusual one. Brian wrote this book called Bed Stai, is Burning, which got mixed reviews. Got a pretty brutal review in the New York Times, where I mean the guy <laughs> the guy was pretty uh, pretty merciless to it, and basically said that that it was a book that was sort of. It was a book sympathizing with gentrifiers, and, and he had he a few, few nice words for Brian. You happened on this book, and then you ended up writing a song. Would you, would you tell listeners about that? Because they have not heard that story
1: yet. Yeah, so I became aware of Brian through his book, Bed-Stuy's Burning, and I was already intrigued off of the cover and the title because I'm from Bed-Stuy. Yeah. So when I saw the title, I was like, wow, what is this? And I'm big on song titles being very unique and having layers and different meanings. Like, I mean, how many songs on iTunes are called? I love you. Right. 20 yeah. billion. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So how many songs on iTunes are called Bed-Sized Burning? One. One. You know, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm big on that. And um, I'm very big on unique song titles, but they have to make sense. Sometimes people... Uh, have a song title and it'll be called you know uh strawberry ice cream that's and right. it, the song has nothing to do with that it's like well what was that about that's just weird you know what yeah. i mean but for me um it they have to make sense but i'm very big on unique titles so anyway um, when i saw that immediately it felt like a song title yeah and being somebody from bed style i was like oh that's a layup and i was already working on an album about gentrification which is my most recent album all the brilliant things yeah and i said that's right up the alley but first i had to get familiar with the book and the story and what the point was and what was going on if i was going to kind of use the title and make somewhat of a response if that's what was was what it was going to be so i purchased the book physical copy because i'm very big on physical books um i i hate the idea of libraries closing so you know i I purchased the the hard copy or the paperback copy rather and um you know i got into it and then when i got into it i was able to speak from the other side of the fence because Mm -hmm. i'm from there and i watched it happen yeah so i was able to speak from the other side of the fence and it was perfect because i was already making an album about that you know my album the entire album from A to Z is about gentrification. In the beginning, it starts with how the neighborhood was. And at the end, it starts with how the neighborhood has changed and what it's become and the people within it, more so the neighborhood, more so than the neighborhood, the people within it and the impact and the domino effect of it all. And the middle is kind of a roller coaster, the up and down of this is where, it started and then it became this and then it turned into this. And then it became that and it turned into that. And now here we are at the end of the album with how things are in 2021, which is when the album was released. So that title just made perfect sense as long as the book made sense, you know. And right, um right, right.
0: Yeah, yeah. and ev-
1: everything came together. I wasn't gonna do it just to do it. And everything sure. came together and I made the record and you know, I had no idea, you know, that Brian would even get wind of it. I didn't, you know, I didn't know him personally. I just bought the book for 30 bucks on Amazon or whatever it was. And um someone on Instagram tagged him. And when they tagged him, I said, uh oh, this could go really good or really bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. again, I didn't even know what he looked like. He could have been 80 years old. Yeah. You know? So I was like, this could go really good or really bad. And it went neither. It went really great. Yeah. You know, um he reached out, he left a comment on on the the page and said this song is something to the effect of this song is a hundred times better than my book is or something like that, Mm -hmm. which was very, very humbling. and, And I was honored by that because man, for someone to say that about their own work, you know, I was honored by that. So, you know, he sent me a DM and we got on the phone for about an hour and we just talked about the book and the song and my other music, you know, he started doing some research into my other music. Yeah. Because to the best of my knowledge, he wasn't really familiar with me, which is fine. And, you know, he became familiar with me. And um, we still haven't met. You know, we made plans to meet up. And uh, he, he, I think he still lives in the neighborhood, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, he and We said we would time. meet
1: up. Yeah, and, and uh, we, we said we would meet up and, you know, have coffee or something one day. I, I got to reach back out to him and see if we can get that going. We haven't met face-to-face, but we, we kicked it on the phone for about an hour. And it was dope, man. And, again, for someone to say that about their own work, is beyond humbling because I don't know many people who would say that, who would say, man, your interpretation of what I did is a hundred times better than what I did. I don't know many creatives who would say that. So I was humbled and and honored and the book is awesome. And, you know, it is the other side of the fence. It is the other perspective. So it's easy to not be into it. It's easy to be against it. And I get that because I'm someone who has fought against gentrification for a very long time because I'm from the neighborhood. So i watched what happened and for the record for people out there listening who may not understand where the kind of fire comes from for all of us who are from the neighborhoods it's not about people moving in who don't look like us we don't have a problem with that come enjoy the neighborhood yeah. come enjoy why we love it right why there's been so many movies and jordan sneakers and t-shirts about Bed-Stuy or whatever neighborhood it is. It could be anywhere in America. What it is, is what happens to the neighborhood once everyone moves in and how we are forced to leave the neighborhood. That's what it comes down to. It's, man, you know, you got this family, this husband and wife who may be in their seventies and they've owned this store on this corner for 50 years. And that store has served the community and that store has had no trouble, and that store has made sure people had something to eat and has taken care of the community and has given back and funded block parties and given away, you know, school supplies or whatever it may be for decades. And now you want to tear it down and get rid of it and, and you know, open a, a wine uh, a wine bar. Yeah. That's That's wild, you know. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. it comes down to because those types of stores are why people want to move to the neighborhood because when they come visit or they see it in a Spike Lee movie, they say, that's cool, man. That's cool. You got the old man running the store and you got the little kids going to the bodega and you got the girl going to the pizza shop. That's really cool, man. I want to live in that. And the block parties and sitting on the step and the guy coming outside playing the drums on a Sunday. I want to live in that. That's cool. And then when you come, you complain because, yeah, those drums are kind of loud. It was cool (laughs) in the movie, but those drums are kind of loud when you're sleeping at eight in the morning. But you know what? That's the fabric and the culture of the neighborhood. So you'll Mm -hmm. be all right. For one sunday a month you'll be okay like that's what the lord you here. so how yeah, can you want to yeah, change it now you knew what you were coming into you yeah, knew yeah, yeah, yeah. the kids play loud outside you knew we opened up the fire hydrant in the summer because there's no pool around or no yeah. clean pool around so we're gonna open the fire hydrant and get an empty soup can and, and play in the water but you'll be fine because it was beautiful and do the right thing it was awesome yeah. So here's the real life version of it, you know, but we're going to take care of you. You'll be safe. You'll be fine in the neighborhood. Come enjoy it with us. This food is really great that we have at this mom and pop restaurant. You know, the block party is really amazing. You know, there's a guy who lives in the neighborhood. He's been there for 50 years and he sells nutcrackers now. And a nutcracker is a drink that he made in his house with liquor and Kool-Aid. And he put it in a bottle for 10 bucks. And that thing is really great. And you can't get that in any liquor store, but you can get it at the block party in Best Eye. And you'll love it. You know, like come enjoy the neighborhood yeah. instead of wiping and washing us away. That's what gentrification is about. Yeah. It's not about the people. It's about what happens because of the people wanting to come in. That's all.
0: You know, Brian had said that I think the the, the hard criticism of his book when it came out was that it seemed to be a book that was that was sort of only sympathetic to the gentrifiers but he said listening to your song he you know he his feeling was that he felt more sympathetic to the perspective of the song and so he was curious like like you f- for you reading the book it was like you you saw the book as being as being kind of a book on behalf of the gentrifiers and then you were kind of writing a response to that
1: right okay right absolutely but not but not a not a scathing response, but I guess it is at times. But it's not—it's not a screw you, you guys suck because that's not how we feel, you know. And sure. that's why I went into the explanation that I just did. Yeah, yeah, it's not that at all. It's here's what it is, man, and this is what happens when this isn't done right. This is—you know—it's great when you guys move in and buy a brownstone. What about the people that had to move out? Right, like you know what, what happens yeah. to them? It's like, oh, all you guys go go down south somewhere or go to go to Toronto or like how does that work you know and really like the financial structure of the neighborhood what happens what happens i've watched so many stores close down man i've watched corner stores i've watched hardware stores i've watched cleaners i've watched all these things close down for wine bars and and yoga studios and you know, cafes, and I mean, I've seen it, man, and it it hurts. It's like, wow, man, that was there forever. And then the way a lot of us get treated in the neighborhood, right? Like, there are times where I would walk my dog, and there'll be someone new in the neighborhood walking their dog, and we're crossing by, so you do the nod or the hello, and they don't even acknowledge you. Because in their mind, you won't be here in a few years. So they're just waiting you out, right? It's like, yo... We're just waiting you out, man. I know you live downstairs on the second floor. I'm just waiting you out. And then we'll be gone in three years when this rent continues to escalate and we'll take all of this. And soon none of you guys will be in the neighborhood. It'll just be us, the new Brooklyn. And that's where the anger comes from.
0: It's right, it's not about the people coming in. It's about everything that's
1: that's forced out. That goes around it, absolutely.
0: You know, in the poetry world, there's what we would call like a poet's poet, which, is, which mm-hmm. tends to be like if you ask almost any poet alive, who are your favorite poets, most of the people that he lists are going to be people you've never heard of, unless you're also deep in the poetry world. And I think, you know, for Cameron, when he... His complaint. We were reading this this article in the New Yorker about rap, and he said like every single song the guy mentioned was this like top forty, extremely famous like nineties mm-hmm. gangster rap song. Right. And he's like, right. Cameron was saying like, well, here all of my favorite rappers are people that like I'd never heard of, and so I would I you know I, I was wondering like if you like one of the things that I find very frustrating at like a family party or something is like. know, like a well-intentioned aunt or uncle or friend will say, like, "Oh, I love oh poetry." Yeah, I love my Angelou or Billy Collins. Like my Angelou and Billy Collins are fine, but like, boy, if you really like poetry, there's some really deep stuff you can get into. And it's like there's like the two or three names that most people know who are not the most interesting poets to me. And I'm curious, Mm -hmm. like with rap, I suspect that it's similar that like the very small number of like rapper names that most people would recognize may or may not be actually like the best rappers. But I'm curious, like what how do you see that? Or is that similar to portrait or does that ring bells or does that seem like a different kind of phenomenon?
1: No, it's very true. It's very true because you're talking about casual fans. Yeah. So the difference is a lot of the people casual fans would say are the greatest probably are the greatest. Um Mm. because they have been able to do both. They've been successful mainstream wise and they've been great at the craft that they kind of check all those boxes right um most people are going to say biggie most people are going to say tupac most people are going to say jay-z Nas. that's pretty much you know eminem that's the five that a lot of people run with right all five of them are amazing Yeah. so you know you can't be mad when people say it but it is very common you know like for me I'm a huge jazz fan. I'm like a huge, I'm a bigger, I listen to more jazz than hip-hop. And I'm yeah. a rapper, I'm an MC, and I love lyricism and hip-hop. And hip-hop is provided for and saved my life. But I I listen to more jazz on my off time because I'm just such a jazz fan. Yeah. Uh most people, when they think of jazz, they think Miles Davis John Coltrane. I love Miles Davis so much, my son is named after Miles. I love Miles Davis, you know. Yeah. But I can literally same thing for Coltrane. I have Coltrane paintings. Miles paintings all over my house, but I can also go Lee Morgan, Wayne Shorter, uh, you know, McCoy Tyner, Clifford Brown, Cannonball Adderley, uh, Stanley Tarantine, uh Art Blakey, uh, you know, Freddie Hubbard. And, you know, I, I can keep going and going because I'm a jazz guy. Like I'm yeah. a real, real jazz fan. You know, I, I can go even deeper than that. <laughs> so yeah. I can keep going. You know, we can talk Dexter Gordon. We can talk so many different people, you know, and that's me. But the average person, if you ask them about jazz, they're going to say Miles Davis, John Coltrane. Sure. Because those are the top of the top. They've been the most successful. They've made the most, you know, noise in this genre. You know, they've checked off the most boxes. They've been the most acclaimed. And they're great, you know. Um, but for hip-hop, it's usually Big J, Nas, Tupac, Eminem. Was that five? Big J, Nas. Yeah, yeah. Tupac, Eminem. It's usually some kind of combination right. of those five guys, you know. Um my favorites are those guys for sure. Like my my favorites are Biggie, Jay Z, Nas, you know, Black Thought, Most Deaf, Talib Kwali, Andre 3000. You know, those are my personal favorites. You know, and a lot of those guys are on people's lists, and a lot of them may not. Like when I say Most deaf, people always be like, "Really?" I was like, "Yo, Most Def is one of my favorite rappers ever. He's like top two to me." You know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. ever, without a doubt. Quali, right up there. You know, like mm-hmm. those are some of my favorite rappers ever. Black Thought, you know, Black Thought's never put out a solo album. He's one of the greatest rappers ever to touch the pen and pad. Yeah. You know, but some people may forget that because he doesn't have a proper solo album, he just has a lot of group albums, you know. So there's different layers to it.
0: You know, it's it's funny, there um if you ask most American poets I know about Robert Frost, you get like a funny reaction, I think, because like he's one of the few names that most non-poets will recognize. But I find that the poets who really admire Frost, and I love Robert Frost, but poets who admire him tend to think of him as being a very different kind of poet than like your grandma who likes the road not taken, <laughs> which she probably thinks of as the, the road less traveled. Like there are people, right. I think people often think of him as being like a, like a wholesome, comforting, nice old farmer guy. And most poets I know think of him as being like an incredibly cynical, dark, like bleak, but like inc- really technically brilliant poet. And and I wonder, like you, you said, when you were talking about these kind of the most recognizable names, you were saying they were able to do both, but you think like they're kind of two different tasks that they're performing at once.
1: Absolutely. Like there's, there's the, like Absolutely. How would you define those two tasks? It's becoming popular and and being successful in the mainstream side of things, but then also being great at the craft because music is subjective. And I guess you could say the same thing about poetry because it's an art. Anything with an art is is subjective, right? Like the poet who you may think is amazing, the person next to you may think is awful and vice versa. And sadly, no one's right or wrong. And even though from a technical standpoint you could say, Man, this guy is amazing or this woman's amazing. You see what they just did? Yeah. And the other person could be like, No, that's junk. It's awful. But and that's where the frustration comes from, where you're like, you just don't get it. You don't get what yeah. that means for the the culture of being, being a real poet. So it's the same thing with the music. And I think hip hop is the biggest culprit because you have some people who make some of the greatest music ever. And there's people out there who revere it. And there's some people who are like, Yeah. It's not that great it's whatever and you have some people who make awful music from the standpoint of there's a certain standard of are they doing this are they doing that are they really talented can they do this can they do that and it does none of that it's just junk and you will have people sitting there like oh my god they're the greatest this is a classic album It's a classic record they're the greatest ever and you'll have someone like me who understands the nuts and bolts of it and goes this is awful sadly (laughs) no one's right or wrong when you can get the people to say They're amazing. This is amazing. And then on the flip side, it's also successful. And it be amazing because it really is, not because it's the the cup of tea for the moment. Sure. Then you've done it all. And that's Jay-Z. That's big. That's Nas. That's Eminem, without a doubt. Uh, You know, that's those guys. You know, Most Def hasn't really done that yet because he hasn't put out a ton of albums. You know, he's successful in his own right. Quali is successful in his own right. Black Thought's successful in his own right. But they're not as successful as Eminem, Jay-Z, big and even Nas nice to an extent when it comes to radio records right awards things like that yeah but yeah. so what so I
0: I am interested in something you said because you, you said nobody's right and nobody's wrong but you really would like you believe that even though like you can recognize what you'd identify as being technical skill or accomplishment in a given record you don't think that everybody's opinion is equally valid when it comes to something like this would you I mean
1: because I I'm a little shouldn't be. Of that.
0: No, should no. Not okay. Be. <laughs> All right. I would not
1: think so. <laughs> because that, yeah, because that, that's why it's the mess that it is. Yeah. 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 You know, that, that's why it's and in hip hop. And I would assume poetry as well. That's oh, yeah. why it's the mess yeah. that it is because you have people who know nothing about the culture of it, know nothing about the landscape of what it takes to be great and why someone is great. And, their opinion of oh so-and-so is great it's just so great it's just so great i heard it on tiktok and it was just so great yeah, yeah you yeah. know when it comes to can they really sing can they really rap what are they really talking about you know are they checking those boxes no no, no it's just great it's just great i just like it it's great yeah, it's the yeah, best they're yeah. the best ever they're the greatest you know
0: so here, okay, so so here's actually a question I'm, I'm really curious about, like, one of the topics that's come up a number of times on this podcast, and people really disagree about this, like, I, there's not a strong, there's not a clear consensus, is something like, uh, like a very mainline, popular Insta-poet, like, I don't know if you've heard of Rupee Kaur, or She's very popular what, on Instagram. What, what, what her, name? her name is Rupi Kaur. She's a, a very popular on Instagram. She's she writes these short poems on Instagram. She's published a lot of books and has done very well. And God bless her. And I don't I don't begrudge her her success at all. But the question that tends to get asked is, is this a gateway to more serious poetry, or is it just something for itself? And so the example that comes to mind. Because I think a lot of poets I know would say, hey, if you're reading anything that's called poetry, great. Maybe you'll read something else. And then other poets tend to say, if you're reading Rupi Kaur and you really like her, great, I'm happy for you. But I don't think that's going to lead you to John Berryman or Terence Hayes or anything that's really a little bit got more fiber to it. So, So an example that comes to mind is... Uh, my, my, not to pick on my dad, who's who's a lovely and brilliant man. Like the only hip hop he knows, you can probably guess is Hamilton. What would you say to somebody whose only encounter with rap is Hamilton? What would you say about like maybe trying to welcome them towards something else beyond
1: that? I'm not, I'm not mad at that as a launch point at all. Uh, yeah. First off, if your first encounter with hip hop is Hamilton, that tells me probably what age demographic you're in and that's fine and hamilton was dope like i I saw hamilton hamilton was dope um that's not a knock at all It's just it means if you're gonna start anywhere i'm glad you started there as opposed to something lollipop that's on radio you know what i mean like okay all right you know that that's why i go there with it i'm glad you started there because the cool thing about hamilton first of all lin manuel um is someone who grew up rapping you can obviously tell someone to write a broadway play about the history of the of this country and and the, and how this country was born and built and making it about hip-hop or using hip-hop rather to tell the story he clearly wrapped growing up his whole life because he didn't have to do that and it made it even it made it difficult and that was a hard pill for people to swallow and they swallowed it with ease that was a horse pill and they swapped it with ease, you know? So yeah, yeah. Uh, he clearly grew up rapping his whole life. So he is a real rapper in that sense, for one. Two, the task of how do I tell this story? How do I make sure it's not cookie cutter, but also make it where the people who would care about George Washington and Hamilton and Benjamin, like the people who would care about those guys, probably are people who don't listen to rap. And that's why I brought up the age demographic thing. Yep. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. if it wasn't a play that included hip hop, I wouldn't have seen it without a doubt. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I don't have any interest in that. I'm 39 years old. And yeah, when it all yeah. came out, I was maybe 34, 33. Right. I have no interest in that. I know yeah. what I know about it from school, from history, from being who what I consider to be an intelligent individual. You know, and I've done my, my, my research and all of that, and I have my feelings about all that type of stuff. I know what I need to know about it. So exactly. I had no interest in seeing that if hip hop wasn't involved. But it, when, it, when it was, hey, we're going to tell this story and use hip hop, now I'm interested. Yeah. You know, so if your first foray into hip hop was that, then it's the reverse. It's, I have no interest in hip hop. And if this right. was a hip hop concert, I wouldn't go see it. but this is a story about the birth of this country and the presidency and all these different things and the politics behind it in the 1800s or whatever it is and they're using hip hop to tell it okay I'm going for the story and I'll get a little hip hop whereas with me it was like I'm going for the hip hop and I'll get a little story so if your first foray into it was if your first foray into hip hop was Hamilton I'm not mad at it because when he's writing that this is it digestible for your dad and for me yeah, yeah. And that, that's, that's really difficult. That's really difficult. So being able to do that, I have no problem with him. You know, yeah, it's yeah, not man. cheesy to me. It's not lollipop to me at all. You know, it's not battle rap, but it's not supposed to be. Right. You know, he did it where he literally told the story and he rhymed everything. And he did it in a way where it wasn't forced. It wasn't where, okay, I have to figure out a way to make this rhyme somehow because it has to rhyme. No, he made it rhyme. And it made sense yeah i had no problem with hamilton i thought it was awesome he he walked the line he was the way he was supposed to you know if you know your audience can't take super spicy food you can't make it super spicy you know <laughs> well, they're not going to yeah. be able to enjoy it you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? like right. you're dealing with a crowd that 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 has heartburn like why right. would you make them the spiciest food ever
0: but you have you to be able, you have to appeal to people you know? who maybe who like a little bit of spice right like you have to exactly. you can't be all bland exactly
1: yeah. Exactly, and and that's what he did, and I thought he did a wonderful job of walking the line, and that's why I don't have a problem with Hamilton. I'm, I'm glad,
0: I'm glad because we've had a lot of criticisms of Hamilton on the show, so I'm glad to get a defense of it. I, and my my, da- my dad, yeah, I'm not,
1: I'm not going to say it's it's you know battle rap URL now, nah, but again, it wasn't supposed to be. It 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 was a really good balance because he knew who was coming to see that play. It wasn't me, and it wasn't yeah. even you. It was right. your dad, who's probably seventy five, eighty. You know what I mean, like. <laughs> It was, it, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, and I may be wrong and pardon me if I am, but
0: like, no, 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 it, was,
1: it was your dad. It wasn't yeah, me. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, yeah. You. Yeah. It was it wasn't Brian. You know what right. I mean? It was Brian's parents. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. like, no, it's, no, it's and true. then it became all of a sudden, there's 40 something year olds in the crowd and 30 something year olds and 20 something because they heard about, yo, this guy told this story about something we may not have any interest in because we already finished with that in school. But he did it using hip-hop and he did it kind of cool. Oh, snap. All right, let me check that out. And you check it out. You're like, yo, that was all right. That wasn't bad. That was kind of cool.
0: What are your biggest frustrations with the way that people commonly see or talk about or refer to hip-hop that feel inaccurate? Like, what would you like people to know that
1: they don't seem to know who are not already aficionados? They see the surface. Yeah. And I can't even blame you for feeling away if you only see the surface. Yeah. All you see is, you know, beautiful women bent over, you know, showing everything. All you see is $100,000 worth of jewelry. All you see is, you know, weaponry, machine guns and things like that pointed in cameras on videos. And all you hear on the surface is a lot of vulgarity. Yeah. But when you get to why those things exist within the music, when you get to where hip hop came from and what it's supposed to represent, when you get to the poetry of it, which makes sense because we're on your show, when you get to the poetry of it, when you get to the storytelling of it, it's it's for me and the way I approach mine, it's Dickensian, you know, for me, my approach is very Dickensian, talking about the inner city and where I'm from and the way things are and the way things were and the difference within it or the lack thereof over time. And that's all poetic within its own sense. It's even Shakespearean at times, you know, it's where those types of individuals, if they were still around would love it. They would love hip hop, you know what I mean? So um, it's raw, it's unfiltered. It's very, this is literally what's happening. This is literally what's going on. And you have to respect and admire that. There are a lot of us who do so much within the craft to make sure, yeah, we may be talking about those things, we may be sharing those stories, but there is a poetic and beautiful side to it and the way we're doing it, the way we're writing, and the way we're doubling triple entendres and all of those things, there's a lot of yeah. that to it for the ones who are really, really great and talented at it. And the same people who have a problem with hip-hop love The Sopranos. Okay. <laughs> same thing.
0: Yeah. Or country same music, thing. which is full of all the same right. kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: Right. Storytelling, cheating on your wife, and blah, blah, blah you know, yeah. but like, you know, it's just. The language is there for us, right? The curse and et cetera, et cetera. And that's fine because you're telling a real story, you know. So yeah. sometimes you cannot cookie cutter it. You're telling it, hey man, listen, this thing got bad over here last night. They put us out of our homes or hey yeah. man, listen, these guys, they were broken. They had no money. They had to go in that place and kick the door down. And they yeah. you're telling that story. You can't you can't do that at Disney. It's if if someone's told you a house burned down, they're not gonna say, Yeah, you know someone's house burned down. And <laughs> say, yo, that house burned down, man. The fucking house burned down, man. They yeah. fucking have nothing. So I would want people to just peel back the layers and, and really get to it. And understand why the things in hip hop that you see on the surface that maybe not, not by all, but by some that are shown and and, and said and reflected on are what they are. Yeah. Why does this guy have on $100,000 worth of jewelry? Sure. Well, because he comes from a neighborhood where he had nothing. He grew up with nothing. Yeah. And the plight of black folk has always been validation if we go back to slavery. And there's a whole different conversation. But the reason why my people are so big on showing what we have is because we were born to feel like we had nothing. And a lot of us were born into nothing if we go all the way back to slavery. So a lot of it is validation. It goes back to they put the light skinned black folk in the house and the dark skinned black folk in the yard in the heat, you know, on the rain and the cold depending on the season. So with that being said, now you got us against each other. I'm, I'm important and you're not a lot of people who don't come from my world. Don't have that problem. They weren't, they weren't born into that problem or those issues. So you could have a gentleman walking into target. He could have on a plain button down plaid shirt, some khakis and and, and some Converse sneakers, pair of glasses. His outfit may have cost him a hundred bucks at best. Yeah that guy may be worth 50 million and yeah. you can't tell Yeah, people from where I'm from who look like me, if we're worth 50 million. We want you to know. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not justifying it. I'm just giving context. We want you to know we're worth 50 million. Why? Because you would never expect us to be worth 50 million. When you see us in line, wearing a plaid shirt and slacks and some converses and some, and some uh, glasses, you may look at us like we don't matter even though we're worth more money than everybody in here. So you know what? We got to show you we're worth $50 million. I got $100,000 worth of chains. I got a $10,000 Rolex on. I got a $10,000 bracelet on. I got some $300 Jordans on. And my outfit, just shirt and pants may have ran me $1,200 because I need you to know that I'm worth something. And that's the plight of black folk. And again, I'm not saying it's right, but it just gives you reason and context as to why we think the way we think. It's all about validation for us because that validation was taken from us when we were taken from Africa. But that's a whole different other story that has, you know, whatever. But since your listeners may not be abreast on hip hop, I'll give you context as to why a lot of it is what it is. I mean, the very first rap song was, you know, 1978, 79. I got a color TV. So I could see the Knicks play basketball. That was a brag because no one in the neighborhood had a color TV. Right. So right away, I got to tell you that I'm important. I got to tell you why I matter. I got to let you know what I got. So once you get past the surface of why is this guy got on all this jury? Why is this guy leaning on this three hundred thousand dollar car? Right. Why is this guy throwing money in the air? All right. Once you get past that, you'll understand the poetry behind a lot of it. Not all of it. Some of it is junk. I'll be the first one to stand on the front line and say (laughs) it. But a lot of it is beautiful and poetic. And we're here to tell a story.
0: You know, I, I was I was watching a video you did a few years ago with um, Spike Lee and Talib Kweli. You, the refrain of your song is "My hero was," or Spike Lee was my hero, and and I think like I know you've mentioned Spike Lee and David Simon at other times, and it's funny like I think that you, you know I know a lot of your songs are about storytelling more than they're about as you said you know so there is some like I'm so great at this, but but a lot of it is about storytelling. I think I think like Spike Lee and David Simon, it may be. To my mind, even more about world building. It's about mm-hmm. depicting a play, you know, like creating a portrait of a time and a place, and letting people know what this what this was like. And that it is an homage to Spike Lee, and you have all of the these you know particular song uh, or particular movies, and even you, you know the there's the line that um, Quali has the because uh, Forty Acres and Mule is the production company. He says Forty Acres and a, a porch with more than four hundred horses, which seemed like a good example of that you know, consumption right. as a sign of worth. It's a tribute to Spike Lee, but it's also a, a memoir of your own development.
1: The, like you're... hundred yeah. percent. And, and, that, and that's, that's what the record's about. The record is, my life could have went a whole different way, but my hero was Spike Lee and he showed me something else and that made me aspire for that. My life could have went a whole different direction based on where I'm from, what I grew up around, who I grew up around and what was thrown at me as a kid born in the eighties, raised in the late eighties, early nineties. But I had this guy who was very similar to me, same similar neighborhood, Brooklyn, New York, the whole deal, and saw the world in a very similar way that I, did. and I saw that and said, no, nah, I like that a little bit more than I like this. And that's what the record's about. And that's why on the hook, you know, I saw the D's from my window, you know, meaning detectives. I heard the D's from my window made me lean from the get-go. You know, all those different things that I'm saying in it. I'm saying, man, I heard and saw all this activity outside of my window yeah. that was heinous and criminal-driven and all these different things going on. And I could have literally leaned into that. But instead, I decided to lean into Spike. Why? Because but Spike Lee was my hero. So I'm, I'm saying it in the past tense because I'm saying... This is why I turned out the way I did, you know. I saw this and this and this and I was surrounded by all this, but Spike Lee was my hero. So that's the reason why these things didn't happen.
0: And that does seem like like a lot of a lot of hip hop is is aspirational as like both for the the speaker and for those who might be listening. Like so many so many rap songs that I, that I I mean I don't know that many, but the but those that I know there are there it does seem to be so often there the theme is This is where I came from and this is where I am now.
1: You can have a guy saying, you know, I live in the neighborhood. You know, my mother sent me to the store with food stamps and I'm eating, you know, uh, government cereal and government peanut butter. And now look at me. I got the the most beautiful girl in the world. My car is worth 80 grand. My watch is worth 10 grand. And I got 100 grand in a bag right here next to me. Who would have thought? Look at me. If you get that, You don't want that to be a secret. You should want it to be a secret from a safety standpoint. (laughs) But when you're young and growing up, you don't want that turnaround to be a secret. You want the world to know.
0: I'll ask you just a final, a final short, you know, binary question. My best friend asked me years ago in college. He's a poet as well, but he he wanted to know because I think poets tend to be obsessed with posterity. They tend to be obsessed with, you know, most of most of the poets we read are dead. They've been dead for a long time, and you know we hope to be read after we're dead, but As an artist specifically, I know like your, your website doesn't say Sky Zoo the Rapper, it says Sky Zoo the Writer. That's your, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's how you identify yourself. If you had to choose between being celebrated in your lifetime for your art as an artist and then being forgotten after death versus being unknown in your lifetime and then celebrated after your death, which would you choose?
1: That's tough, but I probably would go with the latter of unknown in my lifetime celebrated afterwards sucks because, you know, getting your flowers when you're dead sucks because you can't smell them. But um, if my music can serve a purpose moving forward for the next hundred years, I mean, we listen to records from I mean, you name it, you know, we we Mm -hmm. listen to we're in 2022 there's records from 1922 that still matter that still exist yeah. there's records from the 40s and 50s and 60s whether it's Sinatra whether it's Miles Davis and Coltrane and all those wonderful guys i mentioned whether it's Nina Simone whether it's uh you know Pink Floyd you know there's so many artists that their music matters now and will continue to matter just like film and books you know there's films yeah. that came out eons ago that are classics books that came out that are classics, you know, that like, you just can't shake. You can't get rid of. And if I'm in that category, then I prefer that. I don't, you know, I'd like to be recognized while I'm here. And thankfully I am. I know we're speaking in, we're we're yeah, yeah. you know, right. The hypothetical and everything like that. But, you know, I, I'd like to be known here, but you know what, if I had to choose, let it be where my stuff rings off crazy when I'm, when I'm gone and rings off forever. If that's the trade off, I'll take that.
0: That's the show for this week. You can find Skyzoo on Twitter at Skyzoo, S K Y Z O O, just like the two words. Uh, he's also on Instagram at Skyzoo, the writer, and uh, plenty of other places. You should go buy his most recent record, All the Brilliant Things, not to be confused with A. Lamone's book with a slightly similar name all the brilliant things is the name of the record if you are curious i would recommend starting with either Bedsty is burning which is the great track based on brian's book uh or saint james liquors i'm really that's maybe my favorite in any event thank you all you can reach me as always at sleerickets at gmail.com and uh, with any luck i will be speaking to you again very soon until then <laughs>